It is a blessing for us this morning uh, to hear from Dr. Nigel Shaler. He is a, a gifted, gifted preacher. He is the associate pastor at Faith Bible Church in Marietta, uh, California, where he trains people to serve. And it's it's a uh, it's truly an important ministry that he has there. He's a discipler of men. Previously to that, he was the vice uh, principal and academic dean and head of Bible exposition at the Shepherd's Bible College in New Zealand. As I said, he is truly a gifted, gifted pastor. He's a graduate of the Master's Seminary where he got his, his Master of Divinity as well as his Doctor of Ministry. And we are blessed to have him with us this morning, our friend, Dr. Nigel Shaler. Let's welcome him. Well, thank you, Tim. It's great to be with you again. I think I've been in this pulpit at least once before, some years ago. In fact, some of you may even remember that I was a missionary sent out by Calvary Bible Church to New Zealand, which is my home country, which is a weird thing. You sent me back home. Did you not want me or something? <laughs> uh, but we, we enjoyed uh, great years in New Zealand, ministering at the Shepherd's Bible College. It's one of the Master's Academy schools there. And the Lord and his providence has brought us back to California once again. And so we, uh, my wife and I just thank the Lord for this church and our ongoing partnership with this church. She is sick at home and couldn't be with us this morning, so I apologize. She actually is the better half of us, and uh, and she wanted to be here but couldn't make it. I'm just getting over a cold myself, so pray for me, and uh, we'll, we'll trust the Lord for this morning. But it is a joy to be here. We love this church. We love the elders and pastors at this church, and, and so thankful to be a part of the service this morning. I know that you've been working through a series on uh, becoming doers of the word. Is that right? You can talk to me, okay? Is that right? Okay, good. You are. Doers of the word. Good. So, And I wanted to continue the momentum of that a little bit more, if I may, and discuss the subject of community sermon listening. Maybe you've never heard that term before. Maybe it's new to you. I want to explain that as we go along. But there have been uh, some books written on the subject of listening to sermons. Uh, One particular book, uh, the title is Expository Listening by Ken Ramey. Who's heard of that book? Some of you have read that, and uh, very, very helpful lessons on how to listen to sermons, and I recommend that to you. What I'd like to do this morning is take that book and maybe build on it and go a little step further and talk about not so much how do we listen to a sermon, but how do we listen to a sermon together? You get the difference, right? It's just one word, together. How do we appreciate the preaching event together? How do we anticipate the preaching event together? How do we attend, like this morning, how do we attend the preaching event together? How do we apply the preaching event what? Together. You got it. Okay. We're on the same page. We want to learn how to do this together. And the reason why I think this subject is so important is because of our autonomous individualistic society and really selfish, me-centered culture has affected the way we do church today. It has changed us. And as a result, we don't even realize how autonomous and individualistic and selfish we've become. We don't listen to sermons today like they used to listen to sermons 50 years ago or 100 years ago. 
there's a community aspect to sermon listening that's been lost to us, and we haven't even noticed the change take place. I remember some years ago, my dad, his driving was getting really bad. And uh, my mother and my sister and I would say, Dad, you need to, you need to get your eyes checked. Because it was bad, and we were passengers in his car, you know, we were concerned. So, my dad, go get your eyes checked. And he's like a typical Kiwi bloke. You know what I mean by that? Like a male who never goes to the doctor. Like, never. Not even, like, in his mind, he never gets sick. So, uh, but I, we're like, Dad, you've got to go get your eyes checked. And he finally went into the optometrist, and, and uh, lo and behold, I mean, he walks out of the office, and he's, his eyes are so bad, they gave him a pair of glasses on the spot. <laughs> and we're walking out from the office, and, uh, and I remember walking with him, and he's like, huh, are those birds on the power lines over there? I haven't seen those before. And, oh, look, there's new houses being built on those hills over there. So he, his eyes had changed, but it had happened over such a long time and so imperceivably that he didn't even realize how bad his eyesight had become. I think the same has happened in the church. We have slowly over a long period of time, become so individualistic in our sermon listening that we don't even, don't even realize how individualistic we are. And since the change has happened so imperceivably, we haven't correctly measured its effects on the church, and we certainly haven't identified its dangers. I want to give you some examples. You might be saying, well, boy, what, what is this guy talking about? I'll give you some examples, okay? And we'll go through a, a short list here. In recent years, techno wizards have created ways for us to go to church without actually going to church. You can today have a full-on church experience online from the comfort of your own home. It's called the virtual church and you can attend in your pajamas. You can create an avatar. You know what an avatar is, right? It's like a 3D representation of yourself. And your avatar can attend a service for you. It, it'll sit in the pews in your place. It'll sing the songs for you, probably with a better voice than yours. It'll take communion for you. It can even be baptized in your place. It can become a church member. And when the services are done, it can hang around and chat to, with the other avatars. Your avatar represents the real you in this 3D immersive world. It is the ultimate in listening to sermons alone. You know, when there's something you don't like with the click of a button... You can unfriend that other person's avatar. You can quit that sermon and choose a different one. You can quit the church. You can go look for another one. If the entire experience doesn't meet your expectations, you can actually just turn the whole thing what? off. Another option is to take advantage of 
streaming church services online. These are available to you 24-7. You go there online anytime you want. You don't have to wait even till Sunday. You can do it anytime. And just like going down a, a list, a menu of items, you pick out what you want. You pick out your favorite songs. Pick out your favorite preacher. Pick out your favorite passage. And, and you select all of those and you put them in the order that you like and you create your own church service. One such website boasts over, get this, 365 billion different possible worship service combinations. I mean, you are in control of this thing. You get whatever you want, and if you don't like it, you just change it so it's more to your liking. It is the made-to-order church service, and it's ideal for anyone who just wants to sit at home alone and experience church from a distance. And you don't need to listen in community at all. Now, before all of this, going back a few years, but it's still with us, is religious television. It's been around for a long time, and you've seen it. You can select your favorite preacher, your favorite music, sit back in the comfort of your lazy boy rocker chair, and enjoy the presentation. But of course, that is all it is, is just a presentation. You don't actually take part in the service, but you act as a distant observer. You've got the ability to approve or disprove of the show. I mean, you're in control of that remote, and you are, in effect, a consumer in the market-driven world of commercial television. And typically, you do this by yourself. No one else will come around and do it with you. No one else really has any input into your religious television choices. There's no accountability. You're all alone. Now, autonomous church attendance can also be the case in the mega church. When I say mega church, I'm referring to congregations, usually more than 2,000, where people can slip in and slip out and pretty much remain anonymous. You know the experience, right? Maybe you've been to a church like this. You can sit in the back row. People even prefer to do that because they know that if they are anonymous, there'll be no accountability, no tough questions. There's no responsibilities whatsoever. If they skip a Sunday service, it's okay because no one really misses them. No one even knew they were there in the first place. They are autonomous, independent, and self-sufficient. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean the church is a bad church. A lot of big churches try to mitigate that problem, and they try to draw people in and integrate them into the life of the church, and that's great. But the point is this. If you want to be anonymous in a large church, you can pull it off pretty easy. Agreed? Another recent development that has increased the autonomy of people in the church is the establishment of multi-site churches. That is where a local church typically will 
uh, outgrow its facility and maybe will then uh, take the live video feed of their service and pump it out to another building, maybe on the same property, maybe a building on the other side of town, maybe the building is in another city or another state, and in some cases in another country entirely. And in this scene, people gather to watch and listen to their favorite preacher on a large video screen. Now, you might argue whether that's good or bad, and I guess it could be good as long as the local shepherds, the the local leaders in each cell are integrating people and counseling and discipling and all of those types of things. There'd be ways to mitigate the potential problem of anonymity. In fact, it's probably not that different to what you do here at Calvary Bible Church anyway. I, I, I looked at the website and I see that the sermons here are recorded and then made available for others to listen to later. And if you miss a Sunday service, you can catch up again. We do the same at Faith Bible Church. And it's all well and good. But when people do that, they are, in fact, really nothing more than distant observers. I know they're trying to catch up and they want to be a part of what took place on Sunday, but ultimately when they're not here, both they and we miss out on the community aspect of listening to sermons together. And I want to talk some more about that. Now all of this advancement in technology has produced a new phenomenon in Christendom, and that is the international pastor. The international pastor. He, he is the man who is your favorite preacher. He is your rock star preacher. He is the preacher that you can't get enough of. He's the man that has the most influence in your life when it comes to preaching the word of God. Now, he might live in another city. In fact, you might never have met him and may never, never meet him in the future. I'm sure you you've heard of that. Someone will say, well, so-and-so is my pastor, but that person lives, I don't know where they live. It's that world-renowned rock star preacher. And it doesn't really matter to the person that they'll never meet him and never have a personal relationship with him because his preaching is so good, no one else can match up to that. Now, when that happens, we need to admit that the relationship that we have with these international pastors is severely lacking. I mean, there is no community there. There is no body life engagement. There is no shepherding in that relationship. There is no discipling, no counseling. In fact, there's no personal connection whatsoever. Once again, what we find is that sermon listeners can maintain anonymity because the preacher doesn't know them and they don't know the preacher. And in the worst case scenario, that person could actually end up having a pretty churchless approach to ministry altogether. Now, easy access to the famous super preachers has been around for years. I mean, the internet... Uh, is great. We can crack down sermons of pretty much anyone we want to listen to these days. And assuming that the Bible teaching that you are listening to is Bible-centered, God-centered, 
sound theology, then it's all well and good. I mean, I, I would even encourage you to take advantage of those resources. I do it myself on the way driving here this morning. I listen to a sermon in the car, and it's great. Uh, you'll know the ministry grace to you, right? Distributes the sermons of John MacArthur all around the world. Well, in 2012, grace to you saw almost 18 million sermon downloads in one year. 18 million downloads. You know, that's 50,000 sermons a day. It's incredible. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for that ministry. And that's only one of the sermon library ministries out there. There are many others that are very, very good. And we've all done this, right? We, we listen to sermons in the car when we work out, when we do our chores. And as a result, I know personally I've grown spiritually. There's been great blessing. But like anything in life, There are some helpful and beneficial practices that also have negative consequences if we aren't careful. For instance, if you supplement your diet of Bible teaching with preaching CDs and tapes if you're a bit older and the older generation and digital downloads or however you do that, that's great, but... If all you ever do is listen to recorded sermons and you never attend a local church and you never join a body of Christians who can provide mutual accountability and fellowship, then that very good thing has become a very bad thing. So as we list, look at this list of sermon listening trends. I'm not going to critique them all as if they're all bad. Please don't misunderstand me, okay? They're not all bad. That's not my point. What I am saying is that there can be a downside to all of this, which we need to evaluate very, very carefully. Now, you might look at all of this and you might say, well, Nigel... Calvary Bible Church is not a mega church, and I'm not anonymous here. And you might say, well, I don't sit secretly in the back row of a multi-site church. And uh, you might say, well, I, I don't exclusively follow a superstar preacher to the neglect of the local preaching ministry at Calvary Bible. You might say all of that, but here's the question. I want to bring this home, Okay. Is it possible that even though you attend church every week and even though you turn up faithfully to hear Bible preaching at your local church and even though you sit in a church building and there are other believers around and you interact with them and you fellowship with them, is it possible that Whilst you may do all of those things, you are still listening alone. Uh, It could be, and this is my humble opinion, it could be that we have been so affected by the individualism of our society uh, 
that even when we come to church and sit with people, we are still alone. Our sermon interaction amounts to next to nothing. And so we might as well be at home listening to sermons. I mean, what do you talk about when the service is done? Really? As you leave this place, what does your fellowship look like? Is it based on anything resembling the sermon and what you've learned for that day? Because if it isn't, you might as well listen to this sermon on a CD. So I ask the question again. When you come to church, how much community-oriented sermon listening are you really, really doing? And I want to do two things this morning. All this is introduction, so now, now we'll start, okay? The rest of our time, just two things. I want to go to the scriptures to see what the Bible says about community life in the church. What does the Bible say about community life in the church? And then secondly, I want to give you some practical pointers on how to recover community sermon listening in our churches. So here's number one. We're asking the question, what does the Bible say about community life in the church? And I want you to get your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. The first little comment or principle here about life in the local church. And this is what the author says there, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 24. He says, Let us consider, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near now i i know that you know verse 25 pretty well that's my assumption anyway i mean anytime someone uh maybe you've noticed them that they haven't been at church faithfully they've been away for a while and you want to go encourage them to come back you want to challenge them this is the verse this is your go-to verse right Hebrews 10.25, you, you go to that person and you say, you know what, it's really unwise for you to forsake the assembling together of the, the saints. You need to be with us. Don't make it a habit not to be there. Verse 25 is your go-to verse in that situation. But you see, verse 25 is not the main command here. Verse 24 is the main command where it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It's not enough to turn up at church. It's not enough to be faithful in attendance. Once you get here, there's something to do. You need to consider something. What is that? You need to consider how to stimulate one another, encourage one another, challenge one another to love and to do good deeds. John Piper says sanctification is a community project. In other words, 
we can't live the Christian life alone. We cannot ever become more and more like Jesus Christ if, if we try to do that in our own strength on our own. We need others alongside to help us. That's why sanctification is a community project. We need one another. This is a major commitment to each other. Listen, when we come to church, we listen to God as a community. We apply God's word as a community. And we grow into greater Christ-likeness as a community. So as you're listening to sermons in church, you come here week in, week out, Calvary Bible Church, that's great. And of course, you want to be asking the question, how can I make personal application of these principles to my life? Of course you're asking that question. But you see, it doesn't stop there at all. We have a responsibility to look out amongst us and to consider how we might stimulate others to apply those same principles to our lives. If you're not doing that, then you might as well be on the treadmill listening to a sermon with your iPod. Why come here and listen to a sermon if you're not going to stimulate others to put it into practice? doesn't make any sense. I mean, look at this. I know that you know this, but let me remind you of these responsibilities. I want to give you here a list of the one another commands of the New Testament. According to Scripture, they're on the slide here. According to Scripture, God wants us to confess sins to one another, to build up one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to uh, be kind to one another, to submit to one another, to show hospitality to one another, to serve one another, and it doesn't stop there. There's more. We need to comfort one another, restore one another, forgive one another, love one another, admonish one another, teach one another. I think sometimes we think that it's the elders and the pastors and the ministry leaders who are going to teach us, but oh no, this is a command given to all of us. We are to teach one another, encourage one another, and then again in Hebrews 10.24, stimulate one another. This is serious, folks. You want to talk about being doers of the word and not merely hearers? Here is the list of responsibilities that we have to one another. And you can't do this by clicking like on Facebook. You just can't do that. No, you need to interact with people in a corporate way. We need, we're talking about applying the truths of God's word to each of our lives in community. We're all in the same boat. We're all doing the same thing. Now, this kind of church experience was modeled for us in Acts chapter 2. You might go there just quickly. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 In Acts chapter 2, it says that there were thousands of people who were being converted to Christ in Jerusalem. And then the activity of these converts is described for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says they were continually devoting themselves to four things. 
Four activities. The apostles' teaching, that's number one. To fellowship, that's number two. To the breaking of bread, that's number three. And then to prayer, that's number four. These are four essential components of church life. You cannot separate these, by the way. They go together. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. All of those must be undertaken in the context of community. You can't pursue them alone. You can't do them individually. I mean, teaching or preaching, it's a community event. Fellowship is obviously the product of community. And in this context here, in this passage, communion and prayer, they're done in communal settings. Why is it? And I scratch my head. Why is it? that we are so inclined to want to make these individual activities. People want to go home and, go home and have communion by themselves and light candles. and It doesn't make any sense to me. What, is it because we've been so influenced by the individualism of our society that we just want to cut ourselves off and do these things by ourselves? You know... Everything in the, that, that we do in the church is for someone else. You realize that, right? We don't do anything here for ourselves. It's, it's always for someone else. Even our sermon listening is for the benefit of others. This is even true for the way that we relate to our pastor. Now, we have a responsibility to keep the pulpit accountable too. You realize that, right? Take a look at First John with me. Go, go there. First John, chapter four, and verse one. First John, chapter four, and verse one. And it says there, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit." It's chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You say, well, why? Well, because many false prophets, many false teachers have gone out into the world. In other words, it's our responsibility, or should I say here at Calvary Bible Church, it is your responsibility, the listener's responsibility to check that what is coming out from this pulpit is faithful to God's word. Now, if you look at verse 1 here, you'll you'll see that there are two commands. See them there? Uh, John says, number one, uh, don't believe every spirit. And then secondly, test the spirits. Those are the two commands. Now, get this. Neither of those instructions, neither of them, are directed to an individual. They're, They're just not. They are both second-person plural commands. That means that the testing of the pulpit is not done by one person. It's not done by one person over here and one person over here. It's done by the whole congregation. This is a command that is to be obeyed and fulfilled by the entire community of believers. Everyone is involved in this process. You are 
as a church, responsible to keep this pulpit biblical and sound. Actually, you know, I think we too quickly assume that the Bible is written just to us as individuals. I remember growing up as a little Kiwi kid in New Zealand with my rugby boots on, get up in the morning and open up the Bible. And, and uh, I, I think I always opened up assuming that, you know, this, it was written to me. It's written to me. I guess simple understanding, simple faith, I guess. But you, do you realize that when Moses wrote the Pentateuch, he wasn't writing to some Kiwi kid in New Zealand. Just wasn't. Moses wrote to the nation of Israel. And Matthew, when he wrote to uh, his gospel, he was writing to Jews, not Southern Californians in Burbank. Just, he wasn't. He's writing to a nation of Israelites. Paul wrote letters to specific churches. We've got to understand that the Bible is written to massive groups of people, not just to us. Now, I know that by way of extension, the principles come to us as individuals, and we don't want to be hypocrites, and we certainly don't want to expect others to live in ways that we aren't prepared to live ourselves, so we apply the principles to our lives. I get it. But understand the Bible's written to us as a group. You know, most of the time when you see the word you in the New Testament, you need to understand it's almost always, almost always, not a reference to one person but to many. It really shouldn't be you singular. It should be, in New Zealand we say yous. How yous doing? We would say in, in America, it's what y'all, right? We we are so quick to apply the truths to our own lives, and that is right, and that is good. But understand that the Word of God is not just for you as an individual. The Word of God is for the community. It's for the church. In fact. It's the same with the commands of the New Testament. Once again, we, we too quickly apply them to ourselves. And let me give you an example. And this is true for pretty much every command in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.26, let me read it for you. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what context of application comes to your mind when you read that verse? I know what it is. It's you husbands and wives, right? And you've had a little tiff during the day, and then you're getting ready to put your head on the pillow, and then you remember this verse, and you, and you think to yourselves, boy, we can't go to sleep just yet because we can't let the sun go down on our anger. We need to sort this thing out. And we're making personal application, and that's great. That's good. That's acceptable. But understand this. When Paul wrote that command to the Ephesians, he was writing to the entire church. And he was saying, be angry and don't sin, church. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, that changes things a little bit. This is for everyone. He also said, don't get drunk with wine. 
Ephesians 5.18, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we, we, we clutch onto that and we say, oh boy, I just want to be filled with the Spirit today. Please, Lord, help me to be filled with the Spirit. And we forget that the command was given to the church. The church needs to be filled with the Spirit. Paul said to the Thessalonians, rejoice always. He said, pray without ceasing. But it was for the church. Let me say it this way. We cannot afford to listen to sermons alone. Just as individuals. We need to listen together. And we need to apply together. We need to grow together. You say, well, how do we put all this into practice? Let me give you some pointers, okay? Here come the practical, practical pointers for you, and you want to write these down, okay? I want to I do it this way. I want to give you uh, some ways to practice community sermon listening before the sermon, some ways to do that during the sermon, and then some ways to do it after the sermon. So here we go. Number one, seven ways to practice community sermon listening before the sermon. Number one, confess your sins to one another. Confess sins to one another before church, before taking communion. Make things right with people. You can't come to church and listen to a sermon if you've got sin in your heart. You can't come to church and enjoy fellowship when there's sin in your heart. First Peter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. But get this. There's a command, yeah. The command is long for the pure milk of the word. But you cannot do that. You cannot keep that command unless you take care of verse 1 first. Because before longing for the word of God is even possible, you must first put aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Don't think you can come to church and listen to a sermon and get anything out of it if you haven't confessed sin. It's not going to work. Number two, gather to pray for the preacher. Gather to pray for the preacher. You know, know, preaching is hard work. That's just hard work. It's taxing. The study and preparation requires discipline. It's not easy to do it week in and week out. Every week you've got to come with a new message, something new to say. It's hard. Plus, the preacher is battling his own sin. It's difficult pray for the preacher but i'm sure that many of you do that already but why not gather into groups to do that i got together with six men this morning in the room out the back here and it was a wonderful blessing to do that but why not even more so you, you there's midweek bible studies right where you get together you're, you're in groups anyway pray for the preacher because he's going through a a great battle during the week to get ready for sunday 
Number three, pray for the listeners. I mean, get together in advance, pray for the sermon, and beg the Lord. I mean, beg the Lord that every single person in the congregation would be transformed by the sermon that week. Pray for the listeners and do it in groups. Number four, gather to read the Bible passage. And again, you can do this by yourself, I know, but why don't you do it in groups? That way you are stimulating one another to get ready for the Sunday sermon. That way you're encouraging one another to to anticipate Sunday. You can do it in your midweek home groups, in your flock groups, whatever you call those. We need to prepare ourselves. You know, the Sunday sermon really is the high point of our week. I mean, we we spend all week getting ready for it. We need to know what the passage is and read that ahead of time many times over. I, I think... I think I heard right that the next series here at Calvary Bible is going to be on Colossians. So get, get your Bibles out, get into little groups, and start reading Colossians. Number five, discuss the passage in the subject. I mean, read that text and then ask questions of the text. Talk about the up- upcoming sermon. Encourage one another in sermon discussion even before the sermon happens. So that you come on Sunday and you've got a list of questions already in your mind that need to be answered. And you're looking forward to that time. Number six, post on social media. Get on Facebook, get on Twitter, whatever it is that you do, and tell people how much you are anticipating the Sunday sermon. I can't wait for next Sunday, Colossians 1.1 or whenever it's going to start. Because these questions have come up in my mind, and I'm anticipating that God is going to answer those questions through the preaching of his word. Put that on social media. Oh, it's too embarrassing. Everyone will know. So? Tell the world. Number seven, you could utilize the church blog and the website, and the office staff would need to take care of that. Let people know what's coming on Sunday. It's exciting. Okay, six ways to practice community sermon during the sermon. That's right now. Listen up now, okay? This is right now. This is what you can be doing to practice community sermon listening. Number one, commit to regular attendance. You've got to be here. There's so many people are here one week and not the next, and I'm like, what's going on? Don't understand that. You get out of the flow. You you miss a piece of the puzzle and your momentum dies. And what's worse than your personal momentum kind of slacking off is you get out of sync with the rest of the church. Here we are trying to become more like Christ together, learn together, be transformed together, and you've missed here and you've missed here. Doesn't it doesn't work. You need to be in sync with everyone else. need to be in church every Sunday, sitting with the congregation. Number two, arrive early. This is a foreign concept for some of you, I know. Just arrive early. How hard can that be? Ten minutes early. You never know. You might even be able to minister to someone. You might be able to interact, encourage someone. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how you can pray for them. 
I have to say it just bluntly. Late people are selfish. They're not thinking of anyone but themselves. No, come early. Number three, pray for those that are sitting next to you. We're all listening to the same sermon, all trying to grapple with the same truths, with the same principles. So pray for those that are sitting next to you, that we're in a spiritual battle together. Pray for your own heart. But you you may know someone else in the congregation who really needs to hear that message. And as long as you're not praying in some hypocritical way, pray for them. Number four, model attentiveness to others. I love it when people are smiling back at me. I'm preaching, you know, and there's smiles and people are taking notes. That's encouraging to me. Like that. But you know, it's not only is that encouraging to me, but you are modeling attentiveness to those around you as well. That's just as important. If you are distracting others, you're not helping them. But you can model attentiveness and lead by your example. Number five, participate in the offering. Yeah, participate in the offering. Invest in this ministry. Invest in this pulpit. You want this pulpit to continue? Then invest financially. That's how you can be a part of this ministry, at least one of the ways to keep this ministry going. Number six, prepare for fellowship and discussion. Listen, this is going to be tested in just a few minutes now. Soon I'm going to say amen after that final prayer and you'll be dismissed. And the test will be on. Are you ready? Because yeah, I, I know what's going to happen. You're all going to be looking at each other thinking, what are we going to talk about now? Well, in order for that time to go well, you better start preparing now. Well, what are you going to ask your friend? What, what are the first words that are going to come out of your mouth? When you turn to your husband or your wife... Or that friend sitting next door to you. What are you going to talk about? They're expecting you to talk about something important now. So prepare. Write down your questions. Put them down right now. Who can I go and pray with? What discussions can I have to stimulate that person or that person to love and good deeds? Are you prepared for that? If you don't prepare, you'll end up talking about the weather for sure. Okay, lastly, eight ways to practice communion sermon listening after the sermon, when everything's done. How can you practice community sermon listening? Number one, hang around. (laughs) Uh, I, I am amazed. I've been to many churches, and I am amazed with how many people dismiss themselves and walk out the back doors before the service is even done. Well, where are they going? I don't understand that. Hang around. Just because the church is over doesn't mean the church is over. No. Encourage someone. Talk to someone. Number two, engage in sermon discussion. I mean, talk about the sermon. I, you know, I, I, don't, 
I'm not talking about today, although you should, but I'm talking about every Sunday. Every Sunday, you should engage in sermon discussion. And I, I don't mean talking about the preacher. Well, wasn't he bald? <laughs> no, I mean, don't talk about the preacher. Talk about the, ser- the content of the sermon. How did it impact your heart? What are you going to do as a result of that sermon? How has this changed your life? Share that with people. Tell everyone. Number three, pray with someone. Again, you know those people in the church that need prayer. Don't do it from a distance. Go and find them and pray with them this morning. Number four, respond directly to the preacher. And don't give the preacher those pretty little encouragements. You know, thank you for the sermon, Pastor. Great job, Pastor. Good sermon. That, That doesn't do anything for the heart of a preacher. You know what really encourages a preacher? It's when you come and you say, Pastor, when you said this, and you describe, or when you read that passage, my heart was transformed. And now, because of what you said, Pastor, I'm going to go and put this into practice. That is an encouragement. Number five, post on social media. Boy, if the Lord has changed your heart today or any Sunday, tell the world. Why not? Number six, engage in hospitality. Have people over for lunch. Get them for lunch. Engage in genuine fellowship. You could have someone over for dinner. You could take someone to Starbucks. You could take them wherever you want. And talk about the sermon. I mean, real hospitality, real fellowship, not this light, fluffy, small talk. Actually invest your life into someone else. Get to know them. Have people over for lunch, not for roast preacher. Forget the preacher, okay? You don't want to have roast preacher. Talk about what the sermon said, not that the sermon said it. Number seven, I think it's a big one. It doesn't happen very often, but it's corporate confession. Sometimes, not often, but there are times when an entire congregation has been so moved, so impacted by a spiritual truth that everyone's heart has been transformed in the moment and together a congregation wants to confess past sin. You know there are cultures and churches of gossip that have been changed instantly because of a message that was preached or a cord of disunity that was confessed by an entire congregation And all of a sudden, God is doing something wonderful in that church again. There are times when that happens. It's not often. You know, there were times when the entire nation of Israel confessed their sin and went to their knees before God. So that would be something to consider. And then number eight, and lastly, attend sermon-based small groups. 
those would be small groups, home Bible studies, uh, equipping classes, and lots of different avenues and settings where the sermon is discussed. Listen, uh, if I can say it really practically for you, churches invest a lot of money to make sure that someone stands up and preaches a sermon every Sunday. It's just true. A lot of the budget of any church goes towards supporting a guy who will prepare a sermon, stand here and preach it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all that anyone would come and listen to that and then walk away and never talk about it again. But why do we invest that much money? Right? No, 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 no. We we invest the money because we want to have a life change and we want to have a life change not just as individuals but the entire church. So talk about the sermon and one of the best ways to do that is to have midweek Bible studies where maybe there's discussion questions and you read the passage again and, and, you, and you say, boy, I was really challenged by this and, and w- would you folks please pray for me because I want to apply these things. I'm really struggling and I don't know how to do it but would you encourage me? Would you stimulate me to love and good deeds? We should do that every week. That's how we grow. Uh, there are some churches that are so formal. But people don't know each other. I don't get it. They're just going through the motions of religious works, activity. Listen, you're faced with a decision. I'm done, Okay. There, there really are two ways to listen to a sermon. You, you can do it alone, or you can do it in community. Either you compartmentalize your life by keeping your sermon listening to one side and, and your fellowship experiences to the other side, you keep them separate, or you bring those together, the preaching and the fellowship. And you bring them together so that the two never take place without each other. Got a decision to make. It's a life-changing decision. You can't move on without answering that question. If you want to practice community sermon listening, you need to make a plan. Honestly, you've got to make a plan now, otherwise it will never happen. You'll need to involve others because the practice is by nature communal. You, you You have to have a group to do this. And maybe you'll need to do some work to convince others of this vital need. Maybe you'll need to take a a long-term approach because we're talking about changing the global church culture in this modern age. I know, maybe I'm new here and preaching to the choir and you've got this down. Well, if that's the case, there's always room for improvement. And Calvary Bible Church can lead by example. Would you pray for me? And with me? Father, we, uh, we're challenged this morning. So thankful for your word. So thankful for the insight it brings into our lives and really causes us to reevaluate where we are how we live our lives, both individually and corporately. I pray, Father, that Calvary Bible Church would be that church that really is developing a
Christ-likeness and a maturity that comes out of corporate fellowship, that comes out of your word, dwelling on your word, listening to your word, being doers of your word. I pray, Father, that you would change this church into an ever-growing and increasing likeness of Christ for your sake and for your glory. Amen.